Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Quantum Freedom International live stream, and we welcome all of you who's been supporting us, who've been sharing what we've been doing, and then share it to others. So whatever resonates to you, it's not about us. It's about what we share and conversation together. It's we kind of think of this like a teachable moment so that we can all be empowered, especially of what's been happening Can't in the last few years. And so um, for today, we were very happy and excited to have David Edwards of getyourpma.org as our guest. And with me, dot com. Dot, dot com. So we'll check that out later. Okay. Make sure. <laughs> getyourpma.com. And with me, our colleagues from uh, broadcast in broadcasting truth and freedom from all over the world i have dr jane marquis and i have uh, john capsavos i have hartmut schumacher and i have steve so you can check all of their different podcasts and can follow conversations and you'll know exactly what messages they want to share with you okay and so a little bit about david because there's David has a lot of powerful things and messages for us, so I don't want to take up a lot of his time. But he's been in the law practice, although not a lawyer, but he's in the law practice since 1984. And he's really been teaching the protections of the private domain for over 26 years now. Now, I, I've always wondered before, David, like uh, situations like how come some some physicians I go to or holistic practitioners I go to, sometimes I have to sign papers of membership. Sometimes I have to do like a, a fingerprint. And sometimes, so there's just so many things that I notice is happening. And of course, especially now that many doctors and other professionals either are losing their jobs, losing their licenses. All of this is just so crazy. Like yesterday, I know I have a someone who needs to work somewhere, and then she was a per diem in a situation, and she and I didn't really ask whatever is her V status, and then she couldn't get in because she didn't have that V V status. So all these things is happening. So David, how about you just tell us what made you specialize? in this that private membership association wow <laughs> um when i when i was a, i spent 18 years as a cop but, um, when i was young and at one point i thought i could do more good for the people if i were uh, to become an attorney so i started studying law and um, i aligned myself with a uh, man who became a mentor of mine. He was the chief judge in the federal court systems for the Southern District of Ohio and also a highly respected law school professor at um, one of the law schools. So he kind of changed the uh, course of what I thought I wanted to do um, when he started teaching me the things that the law school students don't get taught in law school and why they don't get taught those things. And one of those was the distinction between uh, the separation of the domains. Um, we use the terminology public domain and private domain, but um, 
only because that's the terminology the courts have used for over 150 years, but it's technically just a separation of, uh, of jurisdictions. You have a public jurisdiction and a private jurisdiction. But, um, but the, uh, one of the things that he taught me early on was um, if I continue through um, law school and become uh, a member of the bar or become licensed by any um, governing authority in any state, then uh, um, I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. But um, at that point, I would become an officer of the court. So my first obligation would be to the court. My second obligation would be to public law. And my third obligation would be to my client. So if I were drafting documents to take people out of the jurisdiction of the courts and out of the jurisdiction of public law, I would be violating my oath. But, um, so I had to, um, I had to make some decisions back then on how I wanted to, um, to proceed. Now, um, in recent years, that uh, that mindset from the courts has changed because we've had attorneys um, that are members of the bar standing up and telling the courts. Their, uh, their oath says their first obligation is to the Constitution and their second obligation is to their state constitutions. But, um, so now I've been training some of these constitutional law firms but, um, or some of the personnel from these firms but, um, to properly draft um, the documents, the founding documents, to create the private associations but, um, and the unincorporated ministries but um, to for people to take their business out of uh, the jurisdiction of public law and keep it a private contractual matter. But, um, I realize we get people from all over the world, but the um, uh, everything for the most part is based upon um, everything that I teach is based upon uh, U.S. law and the protections um, that we're supposed to have in place with our Constitution. Um, when I was a kid and joined the army, I took an oath to the Constitution, and I've taken that oath many times at the police department. Um, when I went back into the National Guard, but um, and early on, it, it was kind of frustrating um, to see that everybody around me had taken the same oath, but none of them had ever read or studied the Constitution, and I always said, "How can you?" Um, how can you take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution if you don't even know what's in it? So I've also been teaching the Constitution for over 26 years. But um, the, going back to the separation of domains, what, um, um, I started learning what, um, what's not generally taught in law school what, um, and what most attorneys that I run into, well, it used to be most attorneys just um, uh, ignored it but, um, as uh, misinformation. But, um, but over the last probably five to seven years, we've had an awful lot of attorneys that have started um, trying to study law or studying um, what they're not taught, studying the separation of domains, but, um, learning um, the case law going back to the 1800s they're starting to realize that there's um, there are a lot of things out there about law that they're just they're not taught, but, um, and they have to make the effort to educate themselves beyond um, what they get in law school. And 
those um, are those usually end up being the attorneys that uh, that I teach to do what I do. But you have the ability to keep your business a private contractual matter between you and your members. But um, we have an unlimited uh, an unlimited power to contract, a right to contract, a right to private contract. But, um, and there's a uh, the law says, and it always has, at least in this country, um, that no state can pass any law that impairs the obligation of contract. So as long as we keep our business that um, a private contractual matter, but um, between the association and its members, or even members uh, within the association, but um, it uh, it keeps that business in the in the private domain and outside of the authority of public law to regulate but, um, government, government entities that, um, at all levels have, um, have the authority to enforce public law but, um, within the public domain. They don't have the authority to regulate your, um, your private contractual obligations, your private contractual matters. With Historically, in this country, the biggest need for these protections has always been um, around the natural health care fields. Um, when, when we're talking to um, natural health care providers, um, their, their speech under public law is, uh, is restricted and their activities are restricted but, um, somewhat. But, um, we're, we're taught that we're um, we're not supposed to use terminology like the words cure or treat or diagnose. Um, those are no-nos, and you have to stay away from them. However, within one of my associations is the American Natural Health Association. And within my association, I don't have those restrictions. I don't have to um, restrict my speech. I can use whatever terminology I want. I have that private contractual relationship. It keeps those uh, those conversations private. It's the same as if I'm sitting around my supper table talking to family members. That's a private conversation. Government cannot come into my home and regulate my conversations um, or restrict the, the speech or terminology that I use. So that's the same relationship I establish with every one of the members of my association. Um, it's it's a private matter. It's private speech. You don't have the authority to come in and tell me that I can't use certain terminology. I'm going to use whatever wording I feel is most appropriate, but um, to convey whatever my thoughts are at the time, but um, within that conversation, people aren't taught about the um, the limitations of government anymore. But um, everything that I that I teach, everything that I've taught for the last 35 years or actually 37 years now, but um, used to be common knowledge. People used to know where um, where government's limits were and how to hold government to those limits. But, um, but back around the 1920s, um, government started realizing that you can change the, the mindset of an entire country within just two generations um, if you make the appropriate changes to the system of public education. But, um, so they implemented that here, but um, over time, um, there used to be a requirement in every high school in every state across the country but, um, uh, for a class called civics before you could graduate high school. 
but uh, most of the people that I talk to now but um, are young enough to where they've never had civics. Those uh, classes were replaced with social studies or government, government history. But um, those, they don't teach you um, what you should know about the Constitution. They don't teach you where your rights come from. Your rights don't come from this Constitution. They're only guaranteed by the Constitution. They don't teach you civics. They don't teach you where, your lim where their limits are. But um, or how to hold them to those limits. But, um, they realized if they they don't have a duty to teach you, it's just your responsibility to know. But if our system of public education isn't isn't teaching this anymore, but um, somebody needs to teach it. Somebody needs to keep this information alive. But um, and when I realized that um the the depth of uh, of what they had done to try and eliminate this from the public schools, but um, and they're not they're not really hiding it. They're just not teaching it anymore. But um, so when I realized that, I um, I thought it's the best way I have of adhering to my oath to the Constitution is to start teaching people what's not commonly taught anymore. But um, and I found the. Uh, um, pretty early on, I found um, a network of people that um, that had decided they were going to um, pursue the same course. We were going to start teaching people um, what wasn't commonly taught anymore. Now, originally, there were 132 of us across the country. That was back before the internet. But, um, and I know a lot, uh, a lot of your listeners may be younger listeners and don't realize the Internet's not very old. But um, I know it makes me sound old when I say that, but the Internet's not very old. But um, in the early to mid-90s, um, we had the, uh, the push to the Internet, and AOL was pulling a lot of people online. Before then, it was hard to reach people in mass. But, um, so the Internet's been helpful there. But out of those original 132 people, I'm literally the only one left. Almost all of them have died off. Um, the only ones, um, the most recent ones I've had contact with is probably seven or eight years ago. And they had, uh, they were just fed up and decided they were done with public life and, um, and weren't teaching anymore. So as far as I knew, the only ones that were still teaching was me and the people that we've taught over, um, over the last 32 years. Um, but the protections are there, um, uh, they're protections of law and you have rights, but, um, and we can't allow this information to, um, um, to be not only ignored, we can't allow it to die. But, um, people need to know, um, that this is law. It's always been law, but, um, and if, if you're not taught, but, um, you can't go looking for something that you don't know exists. And one of the most common comments I get, I get it regularly is we don't know how much we don't know. So we need to learn these things and we need to learn the distinctions between the domains. But, um, and we need to realize we always have the capacity to work in, um, uh, or we always have the ability to work in the capacity of our, our public person. But we also always have the ability to act in the capacity of our private person. And everything that we do is the system's op um, opposite of what it should be and what it used to be. It used to be your private business was considered private unless you made it public. 
now everything you do is presumed to be in the public domain unless you make it private. If it um, if that hadn't flipped, we wouldn't have to take our, our business to a private contractual relationship within our own associations. But, um, but it is what it is. This is this is the society that we live in now. But um, and it's it's backwards from what it's supposed to be. But we still have the ability to keep these relationships a private contractual matter. But um, where the state that, um, and public law just don't have the uh, the authority to um, to intervene. Now, according to the courts, there is a limit to um, to those restrictions, but the limit's pretty extreme. It goes back to a court case from 1919. But, um, so using the, the wording of the courts, your association would have to be engaged in activity that creates a clear and present danger of a substantial evil before the state could even investigate your, um, your internal actions. Mm -hmm. But um, thankfully, the state doesn't get to determine what they consider a substantial evil. But um, otherwise, they'd be telling us refusing to take these injections as a substantial evil. But um, they don't get to make that determination. There's a test that's been in place in the courts for over 150 years that, um, to determine where that threshold's at. So if you want to put it into um, um, a more plain and clear terminology, as long as your association isn't engaging in activity that creates a um, an immediate threat of serious harm or death, it's not a um, a substantial evil, and you're not crossing that threshold. So I tell people all the time, don't follow the lead of Jim Jones. Don't be trying to get people to drink this grape Kool-Aid um, or enter into suicide packs, and, and you'll be fine. Keep your business a private contractual matter between um, between you and your members. Now, some of the activities within these associations that um, can take that a step further but, um, and invoke an additional layer of protections that, um, and authorities but um, if they want to establish them based upon their faith. But um, we, we have the ability to invoke, um, first off, any scriptural authority as, as a higher authority than, um, than the state. And if you could ever pin a judge down to tell you um, to, or to answer you honestly, which most of them will never allow you to put them in that position, but if you could pin them down, they would tell you um, scripture, at least in this country, scripture is a higher authority than the state. It always has been. But um, so if you want the ability to rely upon your faith and a scriptural authority, but, um, that adds an additional layer of protection that, um, and a whole different level of jurisdiction, a whole different area where the state could never get jurisdiction. But um, they can never get jurisdiction over um, any ecclesiastical matters, mm -hmm. matters of ecclesiastical law. You couldn't even give them jurisdiction over that if you wanted to. But, um, so you've got a lot of different options when you're trying to figure out how to protect yourself. And anything that's got to do with um, education, anything that's got to do with the reliance on nature or natural health, but um, those are things that align uh, perfectly with faith-based activities anyway. But so perfect, yeah, sorry, uh, David, per perfect timing with what you just said about natural law. What In due time, I'm going to pass it on to, to Jane because Jane is a naturopath and uh, 
she's a homeopath, so I'm sure in connection that perfect to volunteer. Yeah, the FDA is getting more aggressive on trying to um, um, trying to eliminate our homeopaths and their ability to um, to do what they've done for two thousand years. Yeah. Um, and if we keep these if we keep these businesses and these practices operating in the public domain, but um, then they're going to be successful. But um, like I said, the biggest need for these protections have always been around the natural health care field. But um, so we've just got far too many natural health care providers out here that are no, no longer willing to, um, to just do what they're told, but, um, and to, um, and to make that stand and to tell government, we know how to, uh, we know how to keep you out of our business. And, um, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, we're, um, we're very, we're very restricted with regulation and I've been very confused of why, we can't use these terms of cure or, you know, skew information to make it look like, you know, something does more than it does. And we have to always give informed consent over very, you know, helpful and natural products. And yet what's happening now, I have found, I'm, I'm very confused how the government hasn't, hasn't been able, hasn't used the same uh, rules the the rules don't apply to them and why why is that how can that be but um in most cases the um the legislation that they put in place but um they are specifically exempted from the legislation they're putting in place to restrict the rest of us but um but if we take that uh take those businesses and those activities into the private domain but, um, or even, even um, faith-based operations, but um, we remove the ability um, for them to um, to regulate uh, those activities. But, um, but it's got to be done properly. There are um, there are far too many people out here that are creating um, founding documents for private associations, but um, some of them know they're doing it but, um, uh, improperly. And they don't care. Most of them, but um, they just—they don't know enough about what they're doing to um, um, to properly create those documents. You can't have founding documents that are statutory compliant. But um, you can't have founding documents that that say that your association is going to be governed according to the laws of the state of whatever, whatever state. But um, you can't but, you can't have that um, that wording in your documents and then come back later and claim you're not subject to those laws. Your founding documents have already declared that you are. So the uh, the founding documents are uh, um, are probably the most important decision that um, you're going to make when you're looking to put your associations together. But um, if your if your founding documents are given away jurisdiction, but um, before you even uh, get your association in place. But um, that's a problem, and there are companies out here that are charging anywhere from six to ten thousand dollars, but um, for the founding documents for these associations, I've had two chiropractors that have paid over ten thousand dollars for their founding document packages, and then I had to go back and redo all their paperwork, but um, because after all that money, they still ended up with statutory compliant documents, 
and they didn't know why they were still under the authority or jurisdiction of the states. But um, so doing um, a little bit of homework and finding somebody that knows the difference in those documents that, um, is is extremely important. Yeah, this it's hard particular, to find. well, this particular company that the the two of them use the same company. But, um, and this company claims they've been um, they've been in business for 40 years and doing this for 40 years. And I had one of their uh, one of their associates call me a couple years ago and ask me the difference between uh, statutory compliant documents and non-compliant documents. And I told them, I'll I'll be happy to teach you. That's what I do. That's what I've done for um, for decades. Um, but if you don't know the difference, you've got no business creating founding documents for anybody yet. But, um, so that's um, that's going to be an important decision but, um, on on who's helping with your uh, with your documents. If they don't know the difference, but, um, yeah. and they can't protect themselves, then they surely aren't going to be able to help protect you. Yeah, David, what legislation was changed so that the rules are different? for government and for us no um congress exempts themselves from uh a lot of the legislation that's imposed on us um, all the time but um all of the uh, all of the states it's um the wording's in place in specific uh specific statutes and specific laws that um that exempt uh exempt them from enforcement but um trying to think of one of the most common examples um one of the most common examples would be one of the states that's uh um, that's infringed upon the second amendment and they require some kind of licensing um, or permit to carry a firearm that um so their state statutes may say you have to have a license to carry a firearm um, but the exceptions in that are, are going to say that um, it doesn't apply to uh, police officers, law enforcement personnel. But um, that's just an example of what I'm talking about. But um, so many of the and um, there there are when you start looking at statutes. First off, statutes are not laws. But um, and that confuses a lot of people because we're taught that statutes are laws and that's what we're supposed to follow. But um, but. When you start looking at um, looking into statutes, whether it's uh, state level or um, or federal, I mean there are just millions, and no nobody could ever um, ever keep up with uh, everything that's that's within those statutes. There are just far too many of them. But um, but um, when you start looking into the specific wording of the statutes and some of the um, legislative sessions the session laws but um these exceptions are built into uh into those from the beginning but um anything that they want to pass that they want to exempt themselves from whether it's congress or whether it's your state legislature but um they'll uh they'll include that wording in in the bills that are being put forth and signed into um into law and you just have to go into um each statute or um, each law, look at the Sessions law and figure out um, what they've exempted themselves from. They know what they're exempt from, but um, they're not exempt from all laws, but, um, but they're exempt from a lot of the things that, um, that are imposed on us. But, um, and 
the people probably wouldn't stand for it if they knew um, the way these were put together. But um, but um, that's the way it is. We have a lot of uh, a lot of restrictions that that are imposed on us that um, their own their own statutes and their own session laws have exempted them from. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a lot of health food. Um, producers that have been put out of business because of the restrictions and yet vaccine companies seem to have no liability at all and how did they how did that happen how did they become so exempt as well the um first off let me point out the definite um they the places that are being put out of business that um are operating but um under license um, and a license issued from the county or from the state or an incorporation or LLC. Um, a corporation is a creature of the state. You cannot create a corporation on your own authority. You have to petition the Secretary of State to do it for you. If you could create one on your own authority, it would be a private association. Um, the, there's a maxim of law that says the creator will always have the ability to govern the created and the created can never be superior to the creator. So as long as that's how the church has got entangled in this uh, um, since the 1950s, they've been taught that they need to incorporate their churches and become 501c3 entities. When they do that, they give up that separation. They're voluntarily giving up that separation of church and state. They don't know any better. But, um, that's the way they've been taught since the fifties. Um, so if you're incorporating, it's a, your business is a creature of the state. They'll always be able to govern you. But um, if you're not incorporated and you're operating under a business license, the definition of license is written permission to do something that would otherwise be illegal. So if you're going to ask for permission, you're going to be subject to the terms under which that permission is granted. My favorite hashtag is stop asking permission. Stop asking for these licenses. You're asking to be regulated. But, um, they, can, uh, they can control what you do at that point, and they can decide at any time that they no longer want to give you that permission. They can pull that license. But, um, and if you don't have um, something set up with a, um, a private association or a private contractual relationship with your people, you're presumed to be doing business in the public domain. So um, without that license, it's illegal for you to um, to do business. Stop asking for the license. Stop asking for, um, for permission. There's nothing anywhere in any state constitution that gives them the authority with, um, to, um, uh, to issue a license or to require permission. And you're talking about the, um, the liability for the vaccine manufacturers. In 1986, we had um, the National Childhood uh, Vaccination Act, with, um, which what was put in place and what's been amended wasn't um, wasn't actually what was supposed to be uh, put in place from the beginning. Um, but um, that act grants immunity, full immunity, um, to the vaccine manufacturers. They can't be held liable um, for. Um, adverse reactions or death from those uh, from those vaccines, but um, government was never given the authority to um, um, to exempt them from that liability. 
but um, it's actually contrary to the the duties, their primary duties within the Constitution. But um, they weren't given the authority to um, to provide that uh, that exemption but, uh, from that liability, but they've done it. But um, and the people just don't know any better. They don't know the difference. Now, if you're um, if you're vaccine injured, but um, you've suffered adverse uh, effects from any vaccine. But, um, at least in the U.S., you're going to have to go through a VAERS court, but, um, which is uh, that's that's where those cases are restricted. They're not going to be heard in a um, in a federal court. They're going to be uh, heard in a VAERS court, but um, and that's a you have limitations on um, what can be awarded if you're lucky enough to get through the system, and you're reliant upon that um, a court where the vaccine manufacturers still aren't responsible for paying for those awards. Government has to pay for them. But, um, and you're going into um, an administrative court instead of a judicial court but, um, in, the, in the various courts, and you're fighting against um, government. It's the government attorneys that are, are representing the government trying to um, get out of having to pay for these injuries but um, because the... Uh, um, the healthcare professionals uh, are included in that with the uh, um, with the vaccine manufacturers, but um, there's uh, under that law there's there's no liability for them. But um, and one of the things that we've been seeing over the last eighteen months or so is the uh, the number of medical doctors that are um, that are wanting to um, to learn to take their business to the private domain or at least as, as much as they can and still maintain the ability to write prescriptions. But, um, but um, that's become more prevalent since the Department of Defense said that any uh, licensed doctor in this country that discusses the uh, adverse effects or death from the vaccine with their clients is now considered a domestic terrorist and subject to losing their license. That's ridiculous. But um, when you go to a healthcare professional, whether they're a licensed doctor or not, that's a part of the conversation that they're required to have. If they're doing something that, um, that may uh, pose a danger to you or adverse effects, they have a responsibility to share that information so you can make a decision. And now the Department of, Defense is, Department of Defense is saying if they share that information with you, they're considered domestic terrorists but, um, and they're subject to losing their licenses. We've got a lot of things to, um, to correct, not just in this country, around the world. Um, we've got a lot of things to correct and to make right. But, um, and I, that's not going to be accomplished within my lifetime. I mean, we still have people that are hopeful that um, they're going to be able to get it done, but we can still make a lot of progress in my lifetime. But um, but one of the big things, at least in in my mind, has always been the ability to keep government regulation out of your private business. But um, that's got to be a, a foundation to be able to stand upon to start making these things right again. But um, my my information, what I teach, is not is not anything new. It's not some. I get people all the time saying, "I understand you found a new way to to keep government out of my business." No, I haven't found anything. But um, this is not something I created. 
but um, this is, it's a matter of law. It's always been there. We're just not taught that it's there anymore. And we don't know how to use it because we're not taught that it's there. But um, it's going to take somebody um, that knows what, what we're talking about to, um, to keep educating others. And some of the platforms like this podcast are going to, um, are going to be really helpful with that making people aware of the fact that um, you have options that you don't know you have and that have probably never occurred to you. But, um, sorry, let me silence this other phone. One of these yeah. two phones is constantly ringing. But, Thank um, you, David. That's but, great. That's, I'll, I'm going to pass you to John because I'm sure he can take up the conversation from here. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Uh, wow. Um, like the more you talk, the more talking points I have with you. And more questions <laughs> pop up. Um, but I'm just gonna try and keep it to two, so I can pat, so everybody else can have uh, their 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 thing too. Um, I've been in the natural, um, you can say natural, natural health since 2009. So everything that you said that's re regarding the stuff that we're allowed to say. The things that we're allowed to do, the places we're allowed to point is very restricted. Like as a personal trainer that focuses on the body as a whole rather than individual pieces and having clients come to me and say, my doctor can't do anything, they have to do surgery. And within three months, I have them doing movements they never thought that they'd be able to do. Um, really opens opened my eyes to all that stuff. Um, one of the things that I came across, especially when it came to uh, uh, helping people with food, because that's also a part of my job, was, um, you know, certain big companies out there, I'm not going to name any names, but Monsanto, for example, has a tendency of uh, bending the rules. Yep. And the more I dug into the said company, the more I saw that their claws were inside the Senate, the House. How much control do these companies really have? Oh, they're in complete control. These these corporations are that um, they own the Congress. That um, they uh, um, they own most of your government officials. There are very few government officials out there that that um, aren't taking money from some corporation or from some lobbyist on behalf of a corporation. But, um, and the, the few that are out there, but um, their, their voices will never be heard but, um, over the, uh, over the majority that are taking the money. But um, if they had the ability to, um, to, to close it up, well, first off people, um, people commonly use the word loopholes, legal loopholes. Now, the courts have said for a long time, this is not a legal loophole. It's a legal exception that was built into our system. But, um, and um, one of the cases I wanted to mention earlier, but, um, and I got off on another, uh, another train of thought, but one of my favorite court cases from history um, of U.S. law is Hale versus Hinkle from 1906. To start with, it had nothing to do with the separation of the domains or um, or your private business. That's just what uh, it expanded into. But within that decision, um, the Supreme Court specifically said 
no citizen owes any duty or obligation to the state or to his neighbor to disclose his private business. Okay, now the very next uh, paragraph, they start talking about corporations and why corporations couldn't be private. But, um, but um, Hell versus Hinkle has been cited over 1,600 times in the federal and appellate court systems. Now, I don't know if you realize the significance of that, but every time a case citation is relied upon to reach a decision, it's as if that case is being settled all over again. There's no other case um, in the history of U.S. law that's been cited as many times as Hell versus Hinkle. Um, so when you look at the wording of that case, and you see where the courts have said no citizen owes any duty or obligation to the state or to his neighbor to disclose his private business. But um, to me, that's still very, uh, very helpful and very significant in, um, in protecting our ability to, uh, to conduct our, our business in private. But um, the natural, like I said, the natural healthcare field has uh, traditionally been um, where the biggest need for these protections have been but, um, in this country. And but, um, there was a time when I thought that um, if I had any kind of health concern, I should be running to an allopathic doctor and getting these uh, prescriptions for these drugs and chemicals but, um, to put into my body because um, that's what's going to keep me healthy. But it wasn't until I started working with our natural health care providers that I started learning nature provides a, um, a lot of things that um, I've never been taught about. A lot of things that I, I didn't even know were there. But, um, and all the pharmaceutical companies are doing is just um, trying to recreate what nature does in their own laboratories so that they can patent it and make money off of it because they can't make any money off of nature. But, um, or at least not any real money. But, um, so um, that's why so much of what I've done over the decades has been um, focused on or related to the natural health care fields because that's where the biggest need for these protections has always been. We've got a lot of other areas where, uh, where people need protections and they implement these protections, but, but um, I think that's still the... Uh, um, the primary area where we've got people fighting but, um, to be able to rely upon uh, upon nature and be able to rely upon uh, um, their their natural health care providers and to undo a lot of the damage that's been done by um, the AMA and uh, the pharmaceutical companies. But, um, the AMA had all, all the money from the money and the power from the Rockefellers and, and the Carnegie's, but um, to change what was taught in uh, the medical schools across the country. Um, back then, um, your, your homeopaths, your naturopathic doctors, but, um, they were a part of uh, the medical society. It wasn't limited to allopathic doctors. Everybody had their place. But, um, and, um, when you went to the medical schools, but, um, it was up to you to determine where your place was going to be. But um, the AMA started changing that and wanted a complete and total reliance on our allopathic professionals. And I don't have a problem with them. There's a place for everybody. But, um, or at least in my mind, in my belief, there's a place for everybody. But in my mind, the allopathic professionals should be limited to 
but um, surgeries and emergency emergency needs, and um, that's pretty much it. Everything else we should be reliant upon nature and our natural natural health professionals. But um, but that's just the mindset that I've adopted over the decades from um, from learning from my clients that um, what na- what we're capable of with a reliance on nature. So I'm not sure if that addressed your. But another thing is the American Medical Association is a private association, just like the Bar Association is a private association. And those are two of the associations that have done more damage to our, our society in this country um, than any others because of their influence on politics and their influence on government. But you got to realize they're private associations. And it's most likely going to take another private association to undo the damage that those associations have, um, have created. So it's kind of, um, kind of comforting to me to find the number of attorneys, uh, um, the number of attorneys that have been calling me, um, in the last, just the last 18 months, but, um, they're wanting to, uh, they're wanting to undo the indoctrination but, um, that they've received, but uh, now this is the, using their words. They were indoctrinated in law school, and then they came out of law school and began being indoctrinated by the bar association. And the, um, the it's a startling number of how many of them will tell you. For the first time in my career, I started studying the Constitution. These guys that have been practicing for 15, 20, 25 years, and they've never studied the Constitution. It's like um, the Constitution and the laws made uh, pursuant to that Constitution are supposed to be the supreme law of this land. So how can you go through law school and not study the Constitution? Um, Which kind of leads into my next big question. Um, A lot of people in today's world, especially the time of this recording, which is end of October, early November, are going to be going through making a very difficult choice for themselves. You know, you either take something that you don't want or you don't work to feed your family. That takes a very strong mindset for, for most people. What can you tell people out there that are watching this on wherever they're watching it? What can I've you been tell telling, them? I've been telling people for years, get your private supply lines put in place. Now, obviously, I didn't know how this was going to come to pass, but I've been telling people for a long time. I think we're going to see a time where uh, um, you're going to be in a position where if you want to just go in and go grocery shopping, you're going to have to comply with government restrictions that you don't want to comply with. Now we can see that it's a vaccine passport is the the vehicle that they're using to implement that. But um, there are already places that are saying you can't... uh, um, you can't go shopping and get the things your family needs if you don't have a vaccine passport or some kind of documentation of this vaccine. But um, so I've been telling people for years, get your private supply lines put in place. Um, here where I'm at, but um, everyday life is back to what it was before uh, 2020 ever started. We don't we don't see uh, we don't have any mask mandates. We don't have we don't see any signs anywhere saying wear a mask or social distance or any of the. It's all behind us here, so it's kind of hard for us to remember sometimes that the rest of the country, or at least parts of the rest of the country, are still going through this. 
but um and in some areas it's still going to get worse before it gets better but um but the the best advice i could give to anybody whether they're putting together an association or a ministry or um or just trying to stay in the public get your private supply lines in place because it's going to be a really tough decision when you're standing outside of a grocery store with your your kids hungry not knowing how you're going to get in and feed them but um if you don't have the ability to go in and do that grocery shopping in my associations i have um, i can get everything that i need without ever setting foot in a grocery store again now i don't have to do that because we're not dealing with that here but um if i were to move to another area of the country or these things were started starting to uh, trickle down and be put back in place here i'd have the ability to get everything i need from my private supply lines um, if I want produce, I've got people that are growing at, um, produce without all the chemicals. If I want um, beef or pork or chicken or turkey, I've got the, the supply lines in place to get those without, um, without the government regulation. Soaps, toothpaste, deodorants, that, um, whatever we need uh, to survive, I can get without setting foot in a grocery store again. And that's... Um, that's what I would strongly encourage everybody to um, to set up, with, um, because you're either gonna um, you're either gonna buy into what you're being told and um, and believe that this vaccine is um, is good for you. It's gonna protect you. This is the best thing that that um, you're either gonna buy into that or uh, you're gonna have to uh, um, you're gonna have to look for other options of um, of how to feed your family, how to get what you need. And those are going to have to be private relationships that um, they can't be publicly governed relationships or you're going to see that um, everybody following the leads of some of these larger corporations in some of these areas saying you've got to have a, um, some kind of uh, vaccine passport or you've got to have some kind of uh, um, documentation that you've received this vaccine just to go in and uh, and get what you need for your family. If you're not of a mindset that you want to put together your own association or your own ministry, but um, which is uh, what I recommend for everybody, but um, if um, if you don't want to have that authority yourself, then at the very least, start looking at some of the PMAs that are already established out there. But um, start joining these PMAs. But um, you can get access to uh, to what you need through some of these other um, some of these other PMAs that are putting these supply lines in place um, for their members. But um, unfortunately, there's no national directory that I know of um, of uh, PMAs and ministries that are properly founded and outside of uh, statutory compliance. But we do have a few different groups that are working on putting those together. But, um, so if you have the need to find another PMA in um, in your area, or at least in the United States, but, um, that directory hopefully will be um, ready to publish within the next uh, couple months, um, I would think. But um, there are a lot of people working on that, but, um, get involved with the private associations, the ministries, support them. But um, if the states think that they only have a couple hundred people to deal with um, with the private associations, 
then they might be more motivated to um, to try and impose restriction they don't have the jurisdiction to impose. If they know they've they've only got a few hundred people that they're going to have to fight with, they might be willing to um, overstep and initiate that fight. If they know that they've got um, one of the one of the groups in California has a goal of um, a minimum of one thousand PMAs um, per county across the state, and that's not an unrealistic goal. The more people learn. But um, but if the state knows that they have thousands of uh, associations or thousands and thousands of members of these associations across the state to fight with, but um, then they're going to be a lot more reluctant to initiate a fight that they don't have jurisdiction to um, to regulate anyway. So um, get involved with the other associations, even if uh, if you create your own um, private association. But um, still, join join other people's associations. Work together and support each other. But um, just like the small business network, but um, support your PMA, support your local businesses. But um, draw them into your PMAs. But um, teach them that there are some cases where it's going to benefit you to keep a, a business license, but um, and keep one side of your business in the public domain. But um, in most cases, it's not beneficial, but there are some um, that are beneficial. But, um, and the most common would be the medical doctors that need a, uh, um, a license in order to write those prescriptions or to access certain lab works and diagnostics. And they can keep that license for one purpose and then move their patients over to um, their PMAs so that all of their actual treatment stays outside of the governance of the state medical board. But um, there are not many, um, not many times where it's more of a benefit to keep a presence in the public domain, but there are times when, uh, um, when it's going to be beneficial and you want to do what's going to benefit, be the biggest benefit for you and, and for your members. But, um, but, the whole we we just circle back to the point where um, people don't know they have the option, and um, most of our business owners out here don't know they have the option. They they think that their only option is to get this business license and allow um, the state to govern your all of your relationships, whether they're public or private. If um, if you listen to um, to what I teach and you. You learn um, that you have the ability to keep your business private, and you decide to um, continue to operate under public license and just ignore the, the private relationships. But um, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But um, I, at that point, I'm not concerned. My goal isn't um, isn't to make every business in the country a, a, a private association. My goal is to make every business owner in the country. But um, aware of the fact that you have that that decision that um, um, that you can make that will afford you these protections, if you voluntarily decide not to act on it, but um, I'm fine with that. It's not my my responsibility or my obligation to uh, um, to get you to but, um, organize that. But um, it's my responsibility to educate you so you know you have the option and then you make your own decisions. But, um, but outside of the, the U.S., um, the protections aren't as secure 
as they are here in the U.S. But um, the country, the one single country outside of the U.S. that I get the most inquiries from, um, you would think that it would be Canada, considering the relationship um, we have with Canada, but it's not. Um, the most common is Australia. But, um, and people are wanting to put their protections in place in Australia. The problem with that is we've got um, I've had people over there that hold a dual citizenship between the U.S. and Australia. They're in a position to uh, be able to invoke these protections that, um, because they have that dual citizenship. Australia has to default to the protections of their, uh, their rights and their liberties as a U.S. citizen. Uh, anybody over there that doesn't have that, um, uh, that dual citizenship, um, they're in a much less secure position. Australia's constitution says that you have these rights, but, but they're not guaranteed rights like they are in the U.S. Their constitution also says that their high court uh, or that their rights are subject to their high court and their high court can change that um, at any time. And the state can refuse to recognize that um, your rights. So um, unless you hold a dual citizenship, but um, I won't uh, I won't draft documents for you um, if you're in Australia. But um, and it's only because I refuse to allow somebody to pay me for something that's not going to be effective for them. But um, so um, I my conscience wouldn't allow me to um, to accept payment from you to help you put together your founding documents, um, knowing that those documents are only going to be valid as long as your, your government wants to recognize them as valid. Yeah, if something from around the world, though, I mean, yeah, the um, it's it's going to take, but um, it's going to take people standing up to their governments, and but um, in some areas, as as much as I hate the thought of voicing this, in some areas, it may be a matter of of the people going through the same kind of revolution we went through in seventeen seventy six, but um, it may or may not be violent, um. It doesn't have to be violent, at least in most countries. It doesn't have to be violent if you can get the people to come together and stand up to their countries but, um, and, um, and change their, their system of governance. But um, uh, it, like it's, 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 it's all about the numbers, uh, the numbers of people. And but, um, the areas where those protections aren't complete, which is pretty much... Um, for the most part, everywhere outside the U.S., but um, your uh, your rights are still subject to whether government wants to allow you to exercise them, but um, and that's what needs to be changed around the world. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have a handful of people with, um, in government or in monarchies, but um, that are dictating, but um, everything to the people within your country. But um, now, again, maybe this is just my constitutional mindset or my U.S. mindset, but, but um, that needs to come to an end everywhere. But um, it's uh, in the U.S., our system has um, has kind of migrated back toward that uh, that same mindset where we need to allow a, a small number of people or elected officials um, to dictate what we can and can't do. And there are far too many people in this country now that just that, um, adopt that as uh, the way it is. We That's can't have that. Not just there. It's here in Canada as well. Um, like I said, like there's a ton of 
great talking points that I wanted to touch up on, like patents and educational systems and if PMA is the same thing as blockchain technology. But uh, uh, I'll, I'll pass you on to Hartmut. Maybe he could touch up on some of those. <laughs> okay. I will do. I will do. Thank you so much. Um, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Davis. And um, um, what I, I want to see it from the international aspect. Um, what I, for example, if I want to like to have, if I would like to be a member of a uh, private membership association, would it be possible, for example, a very small example, to, to establish a company in Delaware or in Nevada for a German guy and then to become a, a member of a American um, PMA? Your government's most likely under no obligation to um, to recognize those protections of the private domain. This is uh, um, based primarily on uh, on U.S. law, and that's why I've always focused these conversations um, towards the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is the um, at least in most places. Um, when you start invoking faith-based protections or decisions based upon um, your religious liberties and freedoms, those still tend to be the ones that the um, governments will not uh, will not go out of their way to try and infringe upon. But, um, so if you're outside of the U.S., but, um, uh, I hate to make comments like this because everybody always assumes that it just applies directly to them. Um, but it, um, but I'm going to make it anyway. If you're outside of the U.S., your um, your only realistic option with the current state of things may be that, um, to establish your PMA as a faith-based organization or actually a ministry, but um, and rely upon a completely separate jurisdiction but, um, of ecclesiastical law and everything based upon your faith. Now, whether it's a faith in uh, um, in God, a faith in scripture, a faith in nature or the universe or but, um, whatever your religious beliefs are, but um, that's going to be the center of your faith-based organization or your ministry or your church or whatever you're, whatever it is you're putting together. In a lot of areas around um, around the world, that may be the only realistic option you have of keeping government uh, um, from completely regulating uh, what you're doing. That will um, that will vary by uh, by country, but um, but most of the countries that's going to be uh, your your most secure method of protecting. But um, and I have to be careful when I make these statements because. Um, I've been I've been in law since 1984, but it's not international law. But um, I'm not near as well versed in international law as I am in um, in U.S. law. But um, but I know the basics. But um, and I watch what goes on in in other countries at least as um, as much as I can. But, um, and I've looked at the individual constitutions from other countries when people have been asking about PMAs in their countries. But, um, so I might I might not be the uh, the most informative person when it comes to international law, but but uh, um, 
from my from my perspective, I, I still think there are a lot of areas that um, outside of the U.S. where um, the only way you're going to be able to secure those protections with, um, without them being undone is um, if you approach it from a, a faith-based perspective. I see. I see. And um, for, for the Americans, for example, if they... Uh, is uh, if you have on the one hand you have your private you have your public company for example let's say you have a grocery store you have your you have your retailer for tools or anything like that and then you are in your PMA and you have and you are making um, business within within the PMA so you make and the transactions etc. Is there anything? Where, what we have to uh, be care, what we have to take care about, if, if is the is the business within the PMA? I think it's a normal business, or it's it's okay. It's only the way of presenting, or what is the difference? What is the real difference for for people with a usual job, not with a let's say not with a job like homeopathy, where you have to be very very strict concerning the words you are using. But for example, if you have a normal, if you have a usual shop and you would like to work in the PMA, what is the advantage of this? Well, the um, the only the only real advantage in that case is to take your um, take your business outside of the um, the authority of government to regulate. You keep those private relationships private between you and your members or member to member. If you're in an industry that's not heavily regulated or has little to no regulation, but, um, it may not be um, it may not be a big benefit to um, to restructure your business that, um, as a private association. But um, it may be a matter of just waiting to see what uh, what happens and how how far they want to go with this regulation. But, um, but we've got a lot of those same businesses now that weren't heavily regulated before um, here in the U.S. that are um, that are being told now they have to um, they have to impose mask mandates for people coming into their businesses. Um, you have to wear a mask, but, um, or you have to continue to social distance, but, um, uh, stay away from other people, don't get too close to them. But, um, um, the vaccine requirements that um, those are the the masking mandates and the vaccine requirements are what's causing a lot of people right now to look at taking their businesses into the private domain where they wouldn't have paid much attention to it before. They weren't heavily regulated, but um, so it wasn't a benefit. But now, but um, they don't want to. They don't want to require their people to wear masks. But um, they want people to make that decision for themselves. They don't want people to have to have a vaccine passport. They want people to have that decision, to be able to make that decision for themselves. So now they're converting their businesses to uh, private associations, private social clubs. It may be a private membership association, a private health association, a, um, a private education association. Um, farmers are going to private agricultural associations and giving up um, government benefits that, um, so that they can continue to um, operate in the in their private capacities. But, um, uh, one question: So, for example, if I have a grocery store and um, and uh, I don't want to say, let's say I want that everyone can 
get freely in and can buy it and no mass and all that stuff so then i have to make a shop only for members is that correct so that for example yes. that's a Gotcha. Yeah, we've got a um, we've got a guy in California that did just that. He opened a PMA grocery store, but um, and uh, when the county showed up with the police department trying to enforce regulations, but um, uh, his wife was filming the whole thing, and they told him, "So this is private property. Um, if you don't have a warrant, you're going to have to leave. So your only options are you can uh, become a member and come on in." Or you can turn around and leave. But, um, so a couple of the cops actually became members of his PMA grocery store. And everybody turned around and left because they didn't have the authority to do anything. But, um, but um, we've got large corporations now that uh, and everybody says, well, if I have to limit it to members, I'm going to lose too much business. Costco and Sam's Club don't lose business because they require memberships. Now, they're corporations, they're not private associations, but but um, they both require membership, and it doesn't hurt their businesses, so it's pretty unlikely it's going to hurt yours just because you want somebody to become a member of the association. Once they realize that those are protected relationships, they're not going to be objecting at all to become a, a member of your private association. And my last question is what, what John also asked uh, concerning uh, cryptocurrency. For example, if you have, let's say you have a village and there are several shop owners who, may, who are doing one PMA together and then they make the exchange by cryptocurrency, um, what, is, uh, what is the situation concerning cryptocurrency? Uh, I think they have to pay taxes, all that stuff. Or is this within the PMA? And then um, does the PMA to have to pay the taxes? Cryptocurrencies are, are an area where um, I don't get into any retail or in, into any um, real detailed discussions on the cryptocurrency but, um, because I don't know enough about cryptocurrency. Okay. But, um, I, uh, I get very little time to um, – I'm supposed to be retired, but I work more hours now than I ever have in my life. And I don't get time to go learn uh, um, a lot of the things that I'd like to. So I don't have more than just a very basic knowledge on cryptocurrency. Now, I've got um, people that are putting together um, their PMAs that are focused around the cryptocurrency. But, um, and some of the changes that they expect um, to be coming real soon, I'm not sure what their sources are or, or why they expect those uh, those changes. But uh, um From what I'm told, there are um, some areas of cryptocurrency that, at least here in the U.S., are already regulated, but um, and yep. some and some areas that are not regulated. I don't know what the distinction is or the difference between them. Um, there are people out there that could uh, that would be better qualified to address that question specifically, but um, and it's just I don't know. It's um, you can't take the. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> you can't. Uh, the, one of the reasons, or one of the problems with trying to set up, and this is gonna um, gonna kind of tie into that. One of the problems with trying to set up a PMA bank. I've got people that are trying to do that, but the courts have uh, have always said that um, you're trading in public notes. 
you can't take uh, the regulation of public law outside of trading in public notes. So I would assume that that's the same um, perception that they would try to impose in order to regulate cryptocurrency, but um, is viewing it as a public currency. Um, like I said, I, just, I don't have... I I would I could throw out an answer that would um, that would probably sound good, but um, but um, I I don't I don't do that. But, um, I never have. If I can't give you um, the most complete information, but um, and and what I know to be valid information, I'd rather just not give you any. Um, there are people out there that are much better suited to address that question than I am. Thank you. No, that sounds good. And my last question is, um, for example, there are many, let's say, products in alternative medicine. And, um, and they have all the problems what uh, Jane was talking about, for example, concerning the, if you want to, if you want to discuss the situation, if you want to explain what the results can be, they only can, they are only to say, they are only allowed to say, well, it's good, good for wellness. That's it. Official, right. that's and um, is there a possibility, for example, for international um, companies to come to an American PMA in order to make a presentation of their products in a PMA in an American PMA? Yeah, if they become members of those PMAs, we've um, yeah. we've got a lot of uh, a lot of PMAs that um, people that are creating their own um, their own supplements and distributing them. But, um, or uh, um, alternative remedies that, um, and, and distributing them. And they've had to bring them under the umbrella of either their PMAs or their ministries but, um, to keep outside of the regulation of, of the FDA for things like labeling requirements and but, um, uh, inspections of their, uh, their facilities that they're using to create these things. But um, they're keeping that business private, but, um, so they don't have to comply with uh, um, with that kind of regulation. And as far as an international company, they can become a member of a um, of a PMA, but um, here in the U.S. And as long as the uh, um, the trustees of that PMA are uh, are willing to allow you to do business member to member, but um, you can make those same presentations. But I'm here within the U.S. PMAs. Wow, that's brilliant. That's that's gives that's uh, yeah gives me a very good idea. Thank you so much. I pass it to to Steve. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Hey, Steve. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I listened to your uh, session with the Freedom Angels, and uh, it's very uh, enjoyable. That was yeah. that was a yeah. fun series to do. Yeah. They're 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 quite the uh, they're quite the go getters. So um, yes, they are. That was interesting. So, um, does a PMA have to be on on wholly owned unmortgaged property? No, no. Okay. But um, the on, um, the biggest problem we get into when we we start talking about operating or functioning on um, on someone else's property. Um, I get too many of the uh, of the property owners that are leasing property that are still in that um, uh, that mindset, that compliance mindset. So within mm -hmm. the wording of their leases, um, they want you to agree to be subject to uh, 
public laws or statutes. But um, and um, a lot of them, once they, um, it doesn't take very much education to get them to realize where the problem is. But um, and they'll take that language out of their lease agreements. Um, a lot of them, but um, they. They don't have any interest in changing their lease agreements. They're just going to tell you what's theirs there. So you either comply with uh, with statutes and public law or find someplace else to go. So the supermarket that I saw with the Freedom Angels, the first episode is the people who started this in California. Right. They're an interesting, nice couple. Mike and Vanessa. Yeah. Uh, I think I heard you touch on it, but my curiosity was how is commerce done? Can you use an Amex card? Does the PMA have a bank account with Chase Manhattan Bank? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? The, um, the, uh, a lot of the associations that most of the associations that, um, want the ability to, uh, to do banking. So they'll, um, uh, they'll get those bank accounts set up on, um, behalf of the PMA. Um, a lot of the people never intend to have that much volume with their members anyway. So, but, um, they just maintain a, a regular personal account and anything that comes in goes through their own account. I never recommend that because that subjects you to a, a personal tax liability, um, for whatever is coming through your personal account. But yeah, you can um, you can go get an EIN for banking purposes only, but, um, and then uh, um, open a bank account on behalf of of your association. There's there's not when it comes to taxation, there's not one blanket set of rules that applies to everything. But um, it's just like any other business structure. It may be a sole proprietorship with uh, a tax liability, or it may be a tax exempt association. Or mm -hmm. when you start talking about the faith-based activities, that um, uh, you may be um, you may be a part of the mandatory exception from Section 508C1A, but um, which is basically just the statutory recognition for tax purposes of the separation of church and state. So there's no tax liability and no uh, um, no reporting requirements every year. Um, so that's why I um, I tell people all the time. Um, I used to um, there was a time when I, I used to give advice on uh, on the taxes of your associations, but um, I don't do that anymore because they're uh, trying to keep up with the the changes in the tax codes between federal and all the fifty states. I wouldn't have time to do anything else. Um, mm. The the one that never changes are the ones on your faith based organizations and the 508C1A. So anything other than that, but um, I'll tell them go go talk to your tax professional. They're not mm. trained on the 508C1A, so they won't know what you're talking about. But anything other than that, but um, that's what they do. That's what that's what they're uh, they're taught to do. And but um, mm -hmm. that's. I, I'm not the tax professional. I haven't kept up with those laws in a long time now. So go to a tax professional. Gotcha. So what's the alternative to not having a bank account with, a, 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 you know, a brand some, name bank? Some people, um, some people limit their association business to uh, cash only businesses. But, um, okay. Uh, some people just run everything from the association through their their personal accounts, 
But okay. um, if you're doing any kind of volume, real volume of transactions, I don't recommend doing that because then you're, everything's tied to your social security number and you're creating a personal tax liability but, um, by, uh, by reporting association funds. Does the supermarket in California on these on this couple's land? Do they have to do business with partners? Like, you know, can their vendors not be partners? Can they buy from anyone? They could, but they don't. But um, they keep all of their uh, all of their business transactions within their association. Gotcha. So if they've got somebody they want to partner with as a vendor, they're going to make that vendor a member of their association. But um, okay. so that it's still a private relationship. Gotcha. So in New York, my brother has a trampoline park and he was deemed unessential and they shut him down during this time. I'm just wondering if you own a franchise and you're, you know, you sign the LLC documents and you have rental payments on a lease. Is there any way possible to turn something like that into a PMA? So that um, if if you're operating an LLC, it's going to be just like a corporation. You can't take that out of the governance of the um, of the state. But um, and then the, the franchise um, franchise can be regulated under public law, and uh, at least every franchise agreement I've ever seen that uh, makes that agreement subject to public law. So those are the problems you're going to run into. The first problems you're going to run into there. You can't take that LLC business or that franchise business outside of the public regulation, but um, because every, everything within the documentation declares that you're subject to those that public law. Gotcha. So another thing is a small, let's say you have a small in Manhattan, in East Harlem, you have a small uh, apartment building with 20 apartments and you, and there's no mortgage, but you have an LLC as the, the found, you know, the partners are all underneath. And is there any way to turn that out of an LLC into a PMA? There's a lot that you can do, but um, the protections are not as complete when you're talking about real estate, uh, but there's a lot okay. that you can do. Um, and let me explain why. Um, you don't own any property in this country. I understand um, the, that. The, the state has uh, an interest in ownership interest in every piece of land within its borders. You only have equitable interest. So as long as they retain that ownership interest, um, they can impose the regulation of, of zoning uh, compliance. And um, mm. uh, But um, there are still protections that can be put in place. Um, the same way a homeowners association does. But, um, so the um, the private association may still be very beneficial to you, but you're not going to take away the state's ability to um, enforce building and zoning uh, requirements. Interesting. Okay. So the holistic healing, um, I've been looking at holistic healing for 20 years, and I can't tell you how many doctors were had clinics were shut down had to go to mexico so it at a glance it would seem that a pma is an instantaneous protection to running a holistic health business yes or yeah no? that's why that's why we've had so many of them um over the decades that's been the that's why it's been the biggest need for um uh 
for the private domain um, for all of these decades. But our our profession, our healthcare professionals, natural healthcare providers, that um, don't know it's there, they don't know it's an option for them. Wow, you should uh, help <laughs> Stanislaw Brzezinski. They've, I think, uh, the U.S. government spent nine hundred million dollars of our tax money trying to put him out of business. Um, but he, I yeah. think he would, uh, I think he would benefit from just watching this podcast. <laughs> Dan, that um, the thing is that. Um, your protections will never be retroactive. But, um, so if uh, if you think you're going to have a need for those protections, get them in place as soon as you can and make sure you're dealing with somebody that knows how to properly found those documents. But, um, but, but get it done. I would, I, I would never try and push somebody into making a decision. Um, it mm-hmm. can only be when they're ready. But if they've made the decision that that's what they want to do, then don't mm-hmm. delay it. Uh, um, get it in place gotcha. because those protections are not retroactive. Gotcha. I think I'll just have to start a ministry and have healing on the side. Um, that's, that's what so many of our natural health care providers, especially over the last couple of years, I've got to the point where um, we do probably 80 to 85% ministries now instead of standard associations because they want those additional layers of protections and authority. And then the more they start learning about other areas like the uh, um, the legalities with the marriage license and entering into that three-party contract with the state. But mm. um, most of the ministries that we uh, that we help put together never have any intention of getting into things like performing marriage ceremonies. And uh, but then when they start learning um, that a marriage license by law creates a three-party contract between the husband, the wife, and the state, then they mm. start wanting to be able to offer these other services. But um, based upon a, a scriptural authority, but um, so um, the protections are um, are pretty much more complete. Um, mm-hmm. But and the biggest reason for that is people don't know the difference between the public and the private domain anymore. Yeah. You have to be prepared to um, to explain that um, whether you're talking about potential members or even some kind of law enforcement personnel, they don't know this. They haven't been taught either. So if you tell them you're operating an association, but um, you're going to need to be prepared to defend that um, in a lot of cases. If you tell them you're operating a faith-based organization or a ministry, now they already know that there's a different level of of jurisdiction and um, it's, it's expected and they don't know where their jurisdiction ends. So they have to go start looking to research it before they can even try and impose any kind of, uh, of regulation or restriction. But um, if if we were still educated the way we should be, but um, you wouldn't have to be prepared to defend your association. All you'd have to do is tell them, I'm operating a private association, and that would be good enough. But, um, but we're not taught that way anymore. So you're going to have to be prepared to educate them um, either that or just let them do whatever they're going to do. And then when it gets up to the administration or even the courts, that um, uh, that's where you're going to just have to have it uh, taken care of or um, disposed of or but, um, thrown out. <clears throat> but, um, you're just always going to be in a position where m- most people never have to defend their associations in that manner, but you're always going to have to be prepared to. 
But um, if you're reliant just upon the separation of domains and the fact that they don't have jurisdiction, because in most cases they think they do have jurisdiction and you've got to show them why they don't. But again, mm. with, with the ministries, they already know something's different and they don't have jurisdiction. So it's a lot easier to defend those activities with a lot less effort than it is with a, a standard association. I got you. Is there a level with the PMA that you take to the straw man level where you declare your sovereignty and claim your straw man? And they're completely you know, separate. But um, <clears throat> you're um, you're already separating yourself from that um, uh, your public person or acting in that public capacity. But um, when you join the the PMA, or at least if you're now. For the purposes of this discussion, I'm presuming we're dealing with paperwork that I've done to help people create. But um, but if it's done properly, just the membership application alone, which is a part of that package, but um, your members or potential members are going to be um, declaring a couple of things specifically. First, they're voluntarily becoming a member of your association. There's no such thing as forced association, at least not legally. But um, they're also declaring that they're there in their capacity of their voluntarily converting their capacity from a public person to a private member. The reason that wording and that um, they're uh, acknowledging that they're they're not there for the purposes of enforcement or entrapment or anything, and the reason that language becomes a standard part of um, the membership applications. It's because um, a little over 20 years ago, one of the other judges that was a member of one of my associations said that he was concerned that he might see or hear something that his public oath is going to require him to take back to the bench. And he wanted to see some changes in the wording in the membership application specifying that he could not be there in his public capacity. If he was going to be there, it had to be in a private capacity. That way he's under no obligation. So it was put in there to protect um, to protect them, but it's turned out to protect us more than, uh, than it, or to benefit us more than it ever did them anyway. But um, those are the very basic, the most basic things that need to be in that membership application. But um, they've got to know they're they're voluntarily converting that capacity, and you don't have the ability to bring your public capacity into this association. We cannot hear you, Steve. Got no audio oh. there, Steve. Oh, there we go. Sorry, okay. I said get it. I said that's what's so uh, interesting about the PMA because in an instant, you have sovereignty in a sense but you still have your public person your straw right. man right. you don't have to give it up to have sovereignty right and that's what really the only um the only sovereignty you cannot claim is what has already been delegated to the state but um initially within those those constitutions they wouldn't have the authority to act in the capacity of a state if they didn't have some of the, the sovereignty lent from the people to the state now once that's been done the state has it you're not you're not getting it back unless you abolish the state but um but everything that wasn't delegated but um you have the uh you have the ability to retain but, um within the uh um within the private domain but mm. um you just don't know that uh, don't know it's an option anymore yeah 
And that's what we refer to as, as retained powers. That's interesting. Um, It's funny. I I know I'm going to end here because I know we don't have much time, but I wanted to say uh, in terms of the whole straw man, uh, you know, the birth certificate creating uh, the public corporate entity, the sort of uh, corporate you, the dead entity. My point is, uh, it's just a general question. I don't know if you know the answer. Is it possible to do this accepted for value and tap into your trust and get to that point where you don't have to use, you know, you don't register your car, you don't have car insurance, you don't have a bank account. I've never seen anybody successfully do it. Um, I know people that have been making that claim for 25, 30 years, I guess. But, um, and uh, I know people that have um, that have gotten away with it for a little while until um, government realizes what they're doing. But, um, and there's been, um, there's been people that I've successfully gotten out of prison, but, um, um, oh. after that, but there are many, many more that, um, I, I couldn't help. They'll be in jail for the rest of their lives, but, um, because they followed, uh, um, um, a lot of it's because they follow people down the wrong rabbit hole and they yeah. get too, too much misinformation, but, um, on what they should be doing. But, um, and that's what ended them uh, where they're at. So um, I have never seen anybody successfully do it at, um, for any any significant length of time. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So it all comes down to jurisdiction no matter what, really. And that's, that's No, it comes the, down to the fact there's a legitimate reason why your legal fiction was created. It wasn't, it, it didn't start out as a fraudulent activity. But um, you had to have a legal fiction in order to interact with another legal fiction. Mm. Um, so um, if you didn't have a legal fiction, and a lot of people are using their PMAs as their legal fiction, but if you didn't have the legal fiction, you couldn't contract with a cell phone provider or a, an internet provider. Those are corporations. They're, they're legal fictions. Yeah. So it, it. Um, it wasn't done in fraud. It's just that's what it's, um, what it's developed into. It's the way things are done here in the matrix. Yep. So I get it. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, um, one thirty-three. we've been going, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I, you know, your, your, uh, tone is amazing and your delivery is great. And so you're quite an affable and easy to listen guy. And I recommend everyone listen to the, um, freedom angels. Cause there's a lot of really good information on that series. I'm really glad that we were finally able to, um, to do this. This is what our third attempt. But, um, and, hey, David. Uh, yes. I have, if, if it's okay, I'll bring in two quick questions from the audience. Okay. okay. He says, you were talking about uh, EIN with Steve earlier, or John. So is that a trust fund account with the EIN? And then he had a follow-up question that says, does he show, I guess for you, how to exhaust your private administrative process? Okay, the um, the the first question that um, again, there's no um, there's not going to be one blanket rule that applies to uh, all types of associations, all types of ministries. But um, so um, with uh, uh, when when you're going to get an EIN, but um, some of them may be in a trust relationship, some of them uh, may not be. 
that'll be determined by the association that's drafted and how it's drafted and the, um, the activities within that association between the trustees and the and the members. Um, the second question was Please, the you show how to resolve your private administrative process. Um, what what I do is provide the uh, the founding documents that um, for you to be able to create your own association. I don't create those for you. It's not like a corporation where we've got an attorney creating something and then turning it over to you. But um, I spend a lot of time on um, on follow up with people once their associations are put into place. Um, and it's not because um, there's uh, much of a need for it individually. It's just because there are so many people that um, even if you put in 10, 15 minutes into a conversation um, with that many people, it's going to take up a lot of time. Um, then I've always told people, at least until 2020 came about, I've always told them that you don't have a need, a need for an attorney to represent you or your association, but um, you have the ability to, uh, to stand upon your own rights and assert your rights yourself. That's always been based upon the belief that there are certain lines the states just will not cross. I still believe there are lines they will not cross, but we don't know where those lines are now because uh, they did a lot of things in 2020 that I would have never expected them to do. So um, now the need to have a constitutional attorney or a constitutional law firm but, um, to assist you um, may become more of a reality. And that's why we're, um, we're, we're teaching so many of these attorneys across the countries that are be, uh, restructuring as constitutional firms but um, there's uh, um, one in uh, in Denver. Um, one of the attorneys, Beth Chambers, is an attorney at, um, with the law offices of Randy Corporan there in Denver. Randy restructured his um, his firm to be a constitutional law firm. I don't know how long ago he did that, um, but it's been quite a while. And that um, Beth went on uh, as a guest on a radio talk show in Denver and started telling people about the private associations and specifically the private education associations because the state decided they wanted to try and impose vaccine requirements on homeschool kids. And they wanted to put legislation in place that said that the parents have to have a minimum of a master's degree in order to teach their own kids in a homeschool environment. So she went on the radio and started telling everybody to get a hold of me. This was before I, um, I I started helping them to learn to do these themselves, but um, but um, the need for uh, for the attorneys and the help with the administrative process is not something uh, that that's ever been needed, but um, or at least not uh, not much of a need for. But um, I don't expect that's going to change very much. But um, but. Um, like I said, I, I still take a comfort in knowing that a lot of these uh, a lot of these attorneys are wanting to get away from the bar. They're wanting to have the ability to argue the Constitution again, which they can't now um, without being sanctioned. But um, so we're getting more and more of them every day um, that are coming over to our side, but um, and realizing that the system that they're a part of is not what uh, is not what it was supposed to be. But um, so 
the more of them that we get in place. And right now within that network, I think there's only like 3,500 law firms across the country um, that have uh, that have made that change. But um, but I I think that's going to jump dramatically as well. But um, so the need will be uh, will more likely be there in every state if you have um, if you have the need for the assistance with that um, protecting your associations and any um, any process. It's just not something that there's been much of a need for until now. Well, thank you very much. Fantastic, perfect. Just what we needed to hear, David, and we needed it badly. So, um, and I know in New Jersey, we're very active in learning those things. And, you know, and that's how I learn about you because of the freedom movement that's going on. And so perhaps, please, we'll reach out to you again and you come back to us and then we'll have more conversation, okay? Oh, I'd love and, to. It was, um, it, it's been fun. But, um, and it, I know that uh, even if people are in another country, but I'm sure we, there's always a way in everything to solve this situation. Yeah. And thank if, you to our audience. Thank you very much, too. I said, if you've decided that this is the path you want to, um, uh, you want to follow through on, but, um, Go to getyourpma.com. That's the newer of my websites. I've still got pmapower.org, but the getyourpma.com is the newer of the websites. But, um, and that's where um, if if you want to get a hold of me, you want my help directly, but um, I'm still available to do that. I still spend most of my waking hours doing that. Um, if you're... Um, if you're looking for somebody else to help you and that um, you want to make sure that they know what they're doing, they know how to properly do the paperwork, I've got the team page on uh, getyourpma.com um, where you can look at the different team members and figure out um, what draws you to them. Um, it may be their background in, um, in health or education or whatever it is, but those are all people that um, I have trained but, um, to properly draft founding documents. But um, everybody that's listed on that page is more than capable of, of helping you um, if you don't want to come to me uh, me directly. But um, so I don't want to I don't want to um, rush you into a decision. But if you've made the decision that this is where you need to go. Or this is what you think is going to be most beneficial from that point don't delay putting it in place but, um, because like i said earlier the protections are not retroactive um, if you know you're going to do it get them in place and get them in place properly but um and uh, get your pma.com has a uh, a team page where um, you can get a hold of the uh, the people that i've trained um individually and um they're more than capable of helping you and i'm in communication with most of them just about every day anyway so if uh, something does come up down the line um where they're not sure about the answers to give which almost never happens anymore they're all they're all a pretty solid group but um if there is something that they need assistance with that um i'm communicating with them constantly anyway so get your pma.com but um
is probably going to be um, there's the okay. I don't want to get off onto a whole nother long conversation. I know we need to uh, to bring this to an end, but this information isn't um, as easily available as what you would expect it to be. But um, when you go searching online for uh, PMAs and the private domain, and that's the reason why I put the websites together the way I did, in order to get, um, in order to get the just the basic information, you had to go um, to several different sites and that um, and start looking up several different sources of case law and I tried to put this together to where it's the most complete and informative information all in one site so you don't have to keep jumping around from site to site but um, but the, um, the most important thing is that you're you're educating yourself you're getting good solid information but um, and uh, making your decision based on that and then um, getting the help you need to make sure your documents are properly founded uh, once you've made that decision. Well, thank you. And thanks for the audience. And this uh, podcast will be uploaded in and BitChute and Rumble in all our different podcasts. So we share the information. And yes, David. In fact, I was thinking, David, if you have a Thursday next month, Please, uh, I'd like you to come on a different day where you will have other and some of us again. And because we just need to keep this going, we want you to continue to teach. We don't want you to disappear. Okay. Yeah, let's definitely get another um, another time scheduled. I've uh, I appreciate you guys um, being here and listening to me. I've um, I've enjoyed the conversation today. I know that once we get off here, I'm going to have to go back to work. So this has been my my break time but um but i've um uh, i've enjoyed it and um that's definitely let's um let's put together an, a time for another follow-up um as soon as we can we can work out a plan to get that scheduled okay. thank so. you guys thank you all right thank you thanks everybody have a great day <laughs>